You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why ProPlan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. Welcome to the Ducks Unlimited podcast, the only podcast about all things waterfowl. From hunting insights to science-based discussions about ducks, geese, and issues affecting waterfowl and wetlands conservation in North America, we bring the resource to you. The DU Podcast with your host, Dr. Mike Brazier. We have another episode here on our series on waterfowl harvest management. And today we're going to put the machine in reverse a little bit, you could say. We're going to go back to a topic that we introduced with Dale Humberg and Ken Babcock, but for which we said at that time we wanted to wait and devote a separate episode about that particular topic to get into more detail. Well, this is that episode, and our topic is the point system. Our guest on this episode to help us with this discussion is is a friend of mine, Dr. Jim Dubofsky, a U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services Central Flyway Representative in the Division of Migratory Bird Management. Jim, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mike, and happy to be here. Jim, I I think the first thing we want to do, like we do with all of our guests, is give you an opportunity to introduce yourself, provide a little bit of uh, personal background, professional background. Uh, People are going to learn that you've been in this field uh, uh, quite a while, and and that you're going to be facing a a change in your career here pretty shortly. So uh, just take a few minutes, Jim, and tell us a bit about your background. Sure. Uh, I grew up in a small town in Michigan uh, where I learned to hunt waterfowl with my dad and my uncles. Uh, We had about a 1,900-acre marsh that was just a couple miles from the house, and that's where uh, I was taught how to to do those sorts of things, hunt and fish and and so on. Uh, After high school, I went down to Michigan State, the big city, and uh, got a degree in wildlife ecology. And from there, I took a summer and early fall off and went to the Delta Waterfall Research Station on a fellowship. And there I got to work with a number of graduate students and professional scientists on waterfowl and wetland ecology issues, essentially helping them with a lot of their research. So I came back from Michigan to Michigan State, finished up my ba- my bachelor's, and then went on to Mississippi State for a master's degree. And there I studied the use of catfish ponds by waterfowl uh, during uh, almost the peak of the aquaculture industry down in the southeast, there are a lot of catfish ponds and a lot of use by by particularly ducks and, and mostly diving ducks. I stayed at Mississippi State and uh, got my doctorate degree. And then um, uh, for that, I studied the effect of winter nutrition on the subsequent reproduction in mallards. And after that degree, I went on to North Carolina for a little bit uh, along the east coast and Worked on a postdoctoral fellowship where I studied the effects of military aircraft noise on physiology, behavior, reproduction, and mold in ducks, primarily black ducks. It was a time when they were really ramping up their aircraft activity, and there was some concern about all that increased activity impacting the birds in the area. So that was uh, what I focused on for that research. After that was wrapped up, I was hired by the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service finally in 1992 as an assessment biologist and began working with with other folks on monitoring and assessment of waterfowl programs 
and the development of annual hunting regulations. Uh, I was there for about 10 years and I moved out west to become the assistant chief of migratory birds in the eight state mountain prairie region uh, stationed in, in Colorado. And then about 10 years ago, I, I trans, uh, transferred out of that position and became the central flyway representative, which you mentioned. Uh, and here I work uh, with all the states and provinces in the flyways on, on all things migratory birds. So all any types of monitoring regulations and so on. I'm the, the official liaison between the, the flyways and the service for those types of issues. So, yeah, all told, I have a little over 29 years with the Fish and Wildlife Service in the Migratory Bird Program. And, and as you alluded to, uh, I won't be around a whole lot longer, uh, planning on retiring in about another month and a half here. Well, you've led uh, quite a quite a long and accomplished career there, and you bounced around and went to a lot of places, all the while maintaining your interest and connection to the uh, the waterfowl resource in one way or another. And so I, I personally thank you for your service in that regard. You and I have known one another from... Uh, well, I, I don't. We did not overlap at Mississippi State, but uh, but I certainly didn't know your name whenever I got there, and then you and I did uh, did connect there eventually, sometime thereafter, and and so I've appreciated our friendship through the years, and I've always learned a lot from you. So thank you for all your service through the years, Jim. I want to transition to our topic for this episode, and as I mentioned, it's the point system. An alternative harvest uh, option that was introduced, uh, well, I'm going to get you to give us the specific dates. It was in the 60, late 60s or 70s, if I remember correctly, but you'll give me the details here in a second. Um, and like I said, we, we introduced this with Ken and Dale. They shared some of their experiences with it uh, and some of their memories uh, around it. But we wanted to have you on to talk more about this because you've you actually participated in some evaluations of the point system. So we know you have some insight on this and you're one of the authors of a, of a paper related to those one of those evaluations. So we wanted to get you on to talk in more detail about it for people that may not be that familiar with it. I'm, I suspect some of our listeners will have hunted under the point system. Other listeners will have heard about it, but may not have taken the time to really understand uh, what all it involved, what it was designed to accomplish, and why it was offered as an alternative. So this is uh, it's a, a neat opportunity to have you on to talk about this and just reflect on one of those other little historical pieces of where we've been in our harvest management around waterfowl. So let's get started here, Jim, and you kind of correct me if I said, even if I <laughs> said something there uh, at the beginning. What, what year was the point system originally brought about? Well, it was first implemented experimentally in 1968 in the San Luis Valley of, of Colorado. And the reason that it started uh, was the 1960s were a, a time of low waterfall abundances, as others on your podcast have mentioned. And there were restrictive duck hunting regulations uh, compared to, to earlier years with uh, restrictions or closures on several species within an overall larger duck bag limit. And concern about specific species and, and how well they may be able to uh, s s sustain themselves in the future. Uh, so managers were looking to provide as much opportunity as possible on species that could withstand some uh, additional pressure while not increasing pressure on species of concern. Um, during this time, in addition to the point system, uh, 
just as a bit of information, we initiated a number of other special seasons too, such as uh, the teal season, special September teal seasons, bonus scop and special scop seasons. And we developed some special management units and so on. I think all in the, in the hope that we might be able to provide uh, sportsmen as much opportunity as they could on particular species that could withstand some additional pressure. Now, Jim, you were not, as I mentioned, around when the when this idea first came about, when the point system was first developed. Do you do you know though? Did you learn through the years where this idea originated? Uh, like, was there one flyway that uh, that was responsible for floating this idea? Was it the Fish and Wildlife Service that floated the idea? Do we have any insight on really where it emerged? Yeah. And when you asked me to do this podcast, Mike, I did a little more digging into the historical files. And uh, what I came up with through the various reports that we have uh, in our files here was that uh, John Rose, a sportsman and vice president of the Minnesota Conservation Federation way back in 1966, uh, was concerned about uh, particularly the uh, need for waterfall hunters to identify species in the air or on the wing to avoid um, bag limit violations. And so in 1966, he initially proposed what he called the Robbinsdale system. Um, and it, it eventually was, was renamed the point system. And his big concern was that uh, he saw personally out in the field that that hunters that were shooting birds with restrictive regulations on them or restrictive bag limits uh, tended either not to retrieve them or left them in the field. And, and he was really concerned about the future of waterfowling if, if that became a common occurrence. So he brought that, that idea up through the, the Mississippi Flyway and Noble Buell, who at the time was the assistant director of operations in the Bureau of Sport, Fish and Wildlife, which was the precursor of, of the Fish and Wildlife Service, circulated a memo among his regional offices and, and his staff. And he sought input on the merits and potential problems with this Robbinsdale or point system. So uh, that's where it initiated. And as a result of uh, Mr. Buell's uh, request for information, uh, he got a, a quite a, quite a bit of feedback uh, back, and there were a number of concerns that were noted, but there also was enough support that uh, they felt that the Bureau should go forward with some experimentation to better understand the benefits and, and shortcomings of this new system. Well, that's a very interesting piece of information there, Jim. Thank you for doing all that research. I was not aware of that. Um, and somewhere along the lines, someone decided that the point system was an easier name than the Robbinsdale system. So, uh, so I yeah. guess we, we have someone to thank for the simpler name there. But uh, nevertheless, that, that historical insight was appreciated there, Jim. Uh, we're going to talk about in what the what the point system actually was, how it uh, how it worked uh, here in just a moment. But I do want to clarify before we get into those descriptions that you know the, the point system is no longer available. It is a uh, it, it was a historical regulatory option that was implemented for a number of years, uh, but it has it's since been uh, withdrawn as an option. So Jim, what were the years that it was available? You can kind of step through the experimental versus operational phases as you want to. 
Sure. Uh, as I mentioned, it was first ex- implemented experimentally in the San Luis Valley, Colorado in 1968. And then in 1969, uh, they also experimented with the, that, with the point system at the Shiawassee management area in Michigan. Um, and then following that in 1970, they, we offered the point system to all the states in the central flyway and did some further experimentation in a couple central flyway or a couple Mississippi flyway states, uh, Iowa and Illinois, and also a couple of Atlantic flyway states, Florida and New, Jer- in New Jersey. So following the evaluations in those states and a couple other areas in the early 1970s, it was available to all the states in the U.S. by the mid-1970s. So from that time on until 1988, any state could avail themselves of the point system instead of uh, what we call the conventional bag limit system, which is the traditional overall daily duck bag limit with species and sex restrictions within that bag limit. But then in 1988, uh, when conditions were very poor on the prairies with the drought that was going on, uh, we suspended the point system due to concern about poor nesting conditions for ducks and and the potential that we might be over harvesting birds with the point system. So out of concern of low, of low duck abundances, uh, we, we temporarily halted it. Uh, we did reinstate it back in 1989, the following year, and the service at the same time started to conduct reviews of all the special regulations that we had in place at the time, including the point system. But we also did reviews of the teal seasons and scop seasons, special scop seasons and so on. But when we reinstated it, it initially, we, we said that the bag limit were going to be no more liberal than that with which was allowed in the conventional bag limit. So during the that year, 1989, early 1990, the service conducted its review and completed it in 1990 and decided that based on the information in that review, it kept the point system as restrictive in terms of bag limits as the conventional bag limit system. Uh, that went on for a few years, and in 1993, the Flyways asked the service to revisit the 1990 decision, uh, hoping that we might be able to tweak the point system somewhat to uh, make it perhaps a, a little more attractive to the Flyways. So the service tried to gather some more information. There were, was a little bit more that was available uh, since the 1990 review, but after looking at that additional information, uh, we we uh, decided that uh, it, we still would move forward with this discontinuing the point system as an option uh, in 1994. So the the system was essentially available either experimentally or operationally from 1968 through 1994, with the exception of that one year, 1988, and then it was discontinued uh, after the 1994 season. Jim, do you remember? what the uh, and this is probably going to vary throughout the throughout the years but do you remember do you have an example of what the conventional bag system bag limit would have been during the point system you sort of alluded to this already that there were some differences in the in the the allowable harvest that resulted under a conventional bag system versus the point system do you have an idea um of what those differences may have been 
Yeah, generally the bag limits for the Central and Mississippi flyways, uh, which were the, the two flyways that most made most use, use of the point system, were generally between about four and six birds per day under the conventional bag limit. Uh, during that time, we had a number of species of birds under the point system that were, that were given a point, uh, level of 10. So under the point system, you could have potentially up to 10 birds in the bag versus only maybe four to six, uh, under the conventional bag limit. Yeah. And so that would, that would be, uh, one of the reasons why some flyways, Mississippi and the central, as you pointed out, might have been, um, well, might have been interested in the point system. Whereas the Pacific flyway, I don't think the Pacific flyway, if my reading is correctly, ever used the point system. Their, their bag limits have always been a bit more liberal than those in the other flyways. I think our conversation with Dale and Ken sort of, sort of brought that point out. And I, I think perhaps that was one reason why they never never really warmed up to the point system. Is that a fairly accurate statement? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, they've always had a, a somewhat more liberal, liberal overall bag limit. And, and uh, we believe that there just wasn't that much more of an advantage under the point system to the Pacific Flyway as the other flyways. The other flyway we haven't mentioned is the, the Atlantic Flyway. And that it did get some use in the Atlantic Flyway, but not nearly as much in terms of the number of states that selected it as... You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. The Mississippi and Central. Jim, you've uh, the next thing I want to talk about here are objectives behind the point system. You've alluded already to some of the justification behind its development and its use, but uh, but I also know that uh, we have specific objectives, or at least we've tried to come up with, and historically speaking, um, tried to come up with objectives behind certain harvest regulation options or packages, and, and so the point system was certainly no different. Uh, there were some very specific objectives that I think were listed as what we were trying to achieve or help achieve through it. So can you go through those? What were the objectives behind this alternative point system framework? Sure. I'll go over the primary objectives and then maybe uh, expound on those a little bit. But there were really two primary objectives of the point system. And, and the first was to direct harvest pressure toward certain species and sexes of ducks and away from others based on the need for those species and sexes protection uh, from, from harvest or their their harvest potential, essentially. And the second primary objective was to reduce bag limit violations by eliminating the need for hunters to identify ducks in flight. Uh, it's got to be one of the most disheartening things as a duck hunter myself. If you shoot at something and go to pick it up and you realize it's not what you thought it was, and, and if you have particularly if you have restricted bag limits and you make a mistake in identifying something in flight, um, it could limit your opportunities uh, for the rest of that day. So um, those were the two primary objectives of the point system. And as I mentioned, the, the 1960s were a low time of low duck abundances overall and for a number of species. Uh, we had, uh, we had, in the early 1960s, we had closures on canvasbacks and redheads. 
So if you shot one of those, you were in, in real trouble. Um, but at the same time, coming out of, of years of fairly plentiful ducks and fairly liberal bag limits and recognizing that uh, all the different species of ducks have different harvest potential based on their life history, managers really wanted to provide sportsmen with the, with as much opportunity as as they could out in the field. So that's, we were looking for different ways to provide those, those additional opportunities. So managers felt, as I mentioned, uh, the, 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 uh, essentially uh, founder of the, the point system, uh, they felt that many birds were being left in the field, uh, do under, under the conventional bag limit system. Uh, because the hunter's identify, ability to identify ducks uh, wasn't all that great. So they, they wanted to avoid that wastage of ducks, and they also um, wanted to, to limit the uh, inadvertent violations of people who ju- hunters who just simply made a mistake. So the whole idea then was just uh, of the point system was that instead of having to identify birds on the wing before shooting, Hunters could shoot a bird, identify it in the hand to avoid accidental bag limit violations. Um, and since it was unnecessary to identify the bird until it was in the hand, theoretically hunters, if they could identify all the different, different species of ducks that they shot, would never have uh, an unintentional violation. And we'd be able to, to direct harvest and provide opportunities to those species that, that most could withstand that harvest pressure. Jim, this is a, another useful demonstration of how harvest management is related not only to understanding what the needs of the birds are, or at least understanding how population dynamics of the birds are affected by harvest uh, harvest regulations and then the harvest that results, but, uh, but also needing to understand the interaction of the uh, of the hunters in this whole system and understanding how they react to the regulations that we put in place and, and wanting to provide opportunity without uh, putting them at risk, uh, unnecessary risk of violation. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to think about or to suggest that we just implement harvest regulations that are best for the birds. But number one, you know, what does best for the birds really even mean? But then there's also the very real aspect of this that um, the regulations are in place to, to enable uh, responsible use of this resource. And so that certainly gets complicated when you layer in human uh, human needs on top of biological needs of the populations. And, and so this is certainly another example of that. I want to move on here and, and actually describe, have you describe how the point system works. Uh, our people that have hunted under this system will, will know this and they'll probably enjoy a trip down memory lane to think back to the days where they were doing these calculations in their mind as they were harvesting birds. But for those that may not um, may not be familiar with the point system, have not hunted under the point system. Describe how it worked for us. Sure. Uh, well, under the point system, each species and sex of duck was assigned a point level. For example, 10 points or 35 points or 70 points. And the regulations uh, set the number of points that a hunter could attain each day. And although it varied a little bit, typically it was 100 points. So if uh, you could shoot all 10-point birds out there, um, you could get up to 10 birds a day. And the idea was then when a hunter shot a duck, they would retrieve it, bring it back um, <clears throat> to the blind, identify it in the hand, and then determine the number of points the duck was worth. And, and most hunters during this time period had a little sheet with them that uh, in the regulations would point out the, the value of, of each duck. 
as a hunter did that, they'd bring the duck back. And if the total number of points uh, for that duck was less than total allowed, for example, 10 out of 100 points, the hunter then could shoot another duck and repeat the point tallying procedure, um, essentially bring it back, add the points of the most recently harvested duck to that that he'd harvested previously. And as long as that total number of points then was less than the points that he had in the bag at that time was less than the total allowed, the hunter could keep hunting and shoot another duck. So that would continue on then until the number of points associated with all the ducks that were bagged equal to was equal to or ex- first exceeded the total points allowed. And so then at that point, once you either reached 100 points or, or your, your last duck taken took you over 100 points, the hunter would quit for the day and be fully legal. Now, for the point system to work properly, though, each hunter had to keep track of their own ducks, retrieve each duck uh, after immediately after it was downed, um, that is, at least before shooting their next duck, accurately identify it to species and sex, and keep a total running point, uh, a running total of points as each successive bird was retrieved and then stop hunting when the point limit was reached or initially exceeded. So that's basically how it happened. You just had a little score sheet and you added up points as you shot ducks. And as soon as you hit or exceeded 100 points, you were done for the day. And it doesn't take very long, Jim, for anyone that's listening to this or anyone that had studied and and used the the point system to realize that there are some ways that you can perhaps manipulate this system, right? And I know that was was one of the key challenges uh, with the point system and was the focus of a lot of the a lot of the evaluation, a lot of the criticisms, you might say, uh, of the point system. So I want to have you talk about that as well for those that uh, – where this may not be intuitively obvious what could happen. What were some of the primary challenges of this of, – of the point system and uh, ultimately led to some of the concerns around it? Well, uh, the primary one you, you, all, you already mentioned was the reordering of ducks. And as I mentioned in how the system worked, uh, a hunter – is supposed to shoot each duck, uh, determine its point value, add it up, and, and then uh, either quit hunting for the day or continue on depending on what their points were. The issue is that every hunter would know the value of the different ducks. And what a hunter could do is if he or she shot a duck that was worth, say, 70 points first, um, if they shot, say, a 35-point duck after that, they would be done for the day under the the um, the regulations. However, what a hunter could do is shoot the 70-point bird, continue hunting, and if he shot the the 35-point bird, he could say, "Well, I uh, I shot that one first, and then potentially he could shoot a, a few 10-point birds after that." And then claimed that he shot the 70 point duck last and that was the one that sent him over. So you could reorder the way that you harvested the ducks and potentially come up with a bigger bag than the regulations had intended you 
to uh, to get. Yeah. So anyone, so anyone that would have hunted under the point system, which should have or would have been very familiar with the concept of reordering, and even for an individual, what you described there, Jim, was uh, a very real possibility, or, or could have happened. You know, uh, that w- there was a temptation for that to occur. But then when you also start thinking about having two or three or four hunters in a blind, and you have this um, this d- more diverse combination of ducks in the blind, I guess one good you could argue one uh, positive aspect of the point system is it required hunters to sort of exercise their math skills. Uh, but, but yeah, when the more people you add to a, to a hunting situation, the more possible combinations of those, of that reordering you, you could come up with. And so there was that temptation as I understanding. So, and so that received a fair bit of investigation, did it not? Yes, it did. And, and a lot of the, the papers and reviews that, uh, <clears throat> that enforcement, uh, folks and the people conducting the spy blind evaluations uh, pointed that out, that exact issue out that it, it was hard enough to observe a single hunter from the distance that you needed to uh, stay concealed from the hunter so they didn't, couldn't see what you were doing, essentially observing their, their activity. Um, and be able to accurately identify the the species and sex of ducks from a distance in the order that they downed them. But that problem just magnified immensely when you had three, four, five hunters in the blind and attributing the the ducks to each individual hunter. And so essentially what came out of of a lot of those discussions was that it, the the point system uh, was essentially unenforceable in those sorts of situations because either the spy blind observer uh, couldn't be absolutely sure of the species or sex, sex of ducks that were downed. And even if they were, very difficult to attribute them to individual hunters. So, um, what we, what we saw in terms of the spy blind evaluations and then also a lot of enforcement actions uh, was that there was a, a fair amount of discrepancy discrepancies in some of the results that they were seeing where the spy blind observations uh, frankly didn't show a lot of problems with um, reordering but it, individual enforcement actions did uh, and we really never got down to which set of information was was the more correct, if you will. Jim, we're going to, I think, start wrapping this episode up. We have a number of other things that I want to cover, and I, I think we were, it's probably best to to uh, break this into a couple episodes here. The final thing I want to talk about on this episode, see if you could uh, mention briefly about hunter attitudes toward the point system. What do we know uh, from back in those days about how hunters reacted to the point system? Did they did they like it? Were they did they think it was too complex? What do we know? Well, the the results are really mixed if you look at some of the the state reports that are out there that some states uh hunters in some states really like the system in in other states not so much and it 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 probably has partly to do with the latitude of where the hunters are Uh, as you know in the fall in northern states uh, you're shooting a lot of of brown ducks and uh, being able to take advantage of something like the point system when when many of the ducks look the same um, isn't nearly as attractive uh, as compared to states farther south where the birds are colored up and uh, it's much easier to pick out the drakes from the hens. 
Um, some hunters felt that it was too complicated, but looking at all the, the information, the majority of hunters, I think, liked it for two reasons, probably. First, um, the identification aspect. I think it put hunters at ease to know that they didn't have to identify ducks in the air as long as there wasn't a closed season on any particular species. Um, they didn't have to worry about identifying ducks uh, and potentially unknowingly violate bag limits. Um, and then also, uh, as we mentioned earlier, the six bird conventional bag limit versus a ten, potential 10-bird bag limit under the point system, that was very attractive to hunters. So uh, overall, I think that the hunters tended to like it more than dislike it, as long as there was that uh, difference in um, bag limits that were p- possible under either system. Thank you, Jim. That's going to wrap it up for us here on this episode. I, I want to I want to lead off the next episode, though, going back to, um, well, uh, focusing in a bit more detail on one of the key aspects of the point system, or at least with certain species. There were some, within some species, we had different points for male versus female ducks, drakes versus hens. And so I want to talk about that a little bit to lead off our next uh, episode, but then we're going to get back into some of the evaluations of the point system and, and talk about what ultimately led to the decision to, to discontinue the point system and some of, the, some of what came out of those evaluations in a bit more detail. So, Jim, that sound like a plan? You able to, to rejoin us here in a minute? Sure, I can do that. All right. Well, thank you so much, Jim, for joining us here. We will catch you on the next episode. Thanks for the opportunity to, to discuss this. A special thanks to our guest on today's episode, Dr. Jim Dubofsky, U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services Central Flyway Representative in the Division of Migratory Bird Management. We appreciate his time and expertise on this topic. As always, we thank Clay Baird, our producer, for all the work that he does on this podcast. And to you, the listener, we thank you for your time and spending it with us here on this podcast. And we thank you for your support, passion, and commitment to wetlands and waterfowl conservation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the DU Podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the show and visit www.ducks.org slash DU Podcast for resources based on today's topics, as well as access to more episodes. Opinions expressed by guests do not necessarily reflect those of Ducks Unlimited. Until next time, stay tuned to the Ducks. You and your dog are a team. Fuel is best in the field and in life with Purina Pro Plan Sport. Made for hardworking dogs of all ages, every sport formula starts with real meat as the number one ingredient and is specifically formulated to support strength and stamina. Try it today and see why Pro Plan is the official dog food of Ducks Unlimited. Learn more at ProPlanSport.com. <laughs>